1: This is the OK Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks if that's just me for the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OK Hunter.
0: Yo yo what up welcome to the OK's Hunter podcast coming at you from Oconomowoc Wisconsin the OK's Hunter podcast studio brought to you by none other than Spartan Forge spartanforge.ai for their website and discount code ohp for 25% off of an annual membership with those guys they have their they're sponsoring the Mobile Hunter Expo in Ohio Ohio uh this coming weekend so if you see those guys there make sure you tell them we said howdy can't make it we'll be at a different event here in wisconsin seven hours is too far to drive for we got going on unfortunately i'd love to make it to everything it's just can't be everywhere (laughs) one day can't be in two places at the same time it is what it is but uh, they are the premier deer movement predictability app uh, mapping application journaling all all of it it's a one-stop shop for your i mean you don't need anything else on your phone after you get this thing going updates just came out with their stuff satellite imagery is off the charts UAV, UAV imagery is off the charts. Journaling is great. All of it. I mean, we talk about it every week. We'll see. Um, you know, I know I, I use it. You use it. Derek uses it. I'm not sure if Tyler, if you're using it or not. Oh, oh yeah. your mom's it's, using it. That's right. Probably look at her house on there and look back to like 1986 the year I was born and see how different it looked back then. Because that's how their app works. You can go back in time. It's crazy. That is. So uh, also shout out to our other friends. We have lots of them. Vector Custom Shop. Use code OHP for ten percent off. Uh, I'm eagerly awaiting some more, some more arrows because I've lost a few. Yes, you have. I've lost almost all of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they freaking just bury themselves in the ground so deep, man. They, they need penetrate. to start
2: shooting lighted knocks. That's eh, not a bad idea. Yeah, That's it's probably idea. a idea. Yeah, but but it's the, forty the, bucks the, for a three pack. But it is. Well, what which it ones is. do I
0: need to use with the vector because they're. Talk so to Isaac, he'll skinny. hook you up, it, but right. I
2: believe it's uh, Nocturnals Nocturnals fit them pretty good. There's the, the G, I believe the G fit knock is the right size that fits the back end of a Vector.
0: Hmm. But
2: okay. confirm with Isaac, he'll let you know.
0: All right, well, I'll have to do that. And then uh, Latitude Outdoors, code OHP for 20% off on all accessories, although I believe they're running a slight special here for 25% off the classic method uh, saddle and then accessories as well. So... Jump on that, or hop into it, or whatever. You know what that
2: means. There's new stuff coming.
0: Well, right. That's that's exactly what that means. And we're gonna get our hands on that stuff. We're gonna be giving some of that stuff away uh, at Foam Fest. We're gonna be hopefully trying some stuff out too. We're talking to the board of the people that we're trying to get in to the venue for. Since things are changing up, I thought I'd have an update for everybody. It's just taking a little more time. So not on my uh, plate at the moment. When it comes back to me, we'll, we'll share. But you were you had a really good tip for Saddles this morning i was talking to you and the way into work
2: well, i don't know if it was a good tip but it huh? it works it's just it's not really a tip it's just like right now is the time to start going through and using your gear or maybe getting back into it and a little refresher time
0: your tip out, was yeah well i mean i'm all setting trail cameras yeah.
2: and some of these are elevated sets it's really nice to be able to lean back into a saddle have two hands free to set a trail camera so I really enjoy using the saddle for that. And it's not a big deal to put it on and go up.
0: Yep. No, it's easy. That's why it's uh one of the that's one of the good things about it, if we're drinking the Kool-Aid of the you know, the saddle hunting world. Sure. Um Go Wild OHP for ten percent off with those guys. We're on uh go wild. I think we're all three of us are on there as like individuals, and then we mm-hmm. have our own page also. So we always say, like, follow us, follow along, participate. You can log your time against listening to the podcast, which I think is kind of neat that you can do that. Um, there is a lot of podcasts you can find on there, including the guests we will introduce in a minute. But uh, I don't know. I try to go on there like twice a week because there is so many places to go. But what I was saying to someone recently is that I've not had any negative comments ever. No, on go wild. Everybody's
2: very positive there. It's
0: just that it's the most positive community of hunters across the internet. I don't think there's even pockets of groups or communities where you're going to go and not have some sort of like volatility or something. Ours included, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But over there, I don't know how they cultivate that. It's a really great place to spend your time on <laughs> digital.
2: but positivity, man. <laughs> it's a breath of fresh air, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. It really is. And you're going to see stuff you like and all that jazz. So we had one guy uh, on TikTok say, I've, you know, I've never hunted. I'd like to learn how and I'm down in Texas. So I did a repost of it. And then Brad from Go Wild jumped on, did a stitch is what it's called, or a duet or something. Mm -hmm. And there's a feature on Go Wild where you can do near me or nearby. Hmm. I think it's near me. I'm upper right. And it'll show you in the feed that you're in if it's hunting or, you know, there's all these different feeds. uh, You can do the near me feature and you'll actually see people that are close by. So if that guy's in Texas on Go Wild, he'll find people that might be able to mentor him. Um, then we have a, a separate note, the Hunt in Common, who was on our show a couple weeks back. He's a, it's another good group to be a part of if you're looking to learn how to hunt and learn more and get some mentorship. So there's some positivity, right? There is. I think we have a, a bit of that. So, yeah, that's what we got um, for that. That takes a little bit of time these days. There's John, speaking of uh, the devil. <laughs> so John, you're not the devil. <laughs> Double, <laughs> devil, <laughs> devil, devil. I got to get our guest's link to share here, my bad. All right. Well, let's bring you on here. Chris Powell with the Houndsman XP. We were introduced through Go Wild. Uh, Go figure. And, you know, thanks for joining us tonight. Chris, how you doing? Uh Uh-oh. We got you muted. What happened?
3: Uh, It's me. It's me. It's me. My technical difficulty. I got the mic unmuted. So, hey, I'm just uh, I'm doing great. I'm glad that you guys asked me to be on your show. So,
0: yeah, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and uh, you know the podcast that you're running over there because it's a rocket ship from what I hear.
3: And yeah, uh, so um, <clears throat> you caught me midstream. I was sitting here when I read the description. This is smoked uh, and pickled pork wild hog sausage, and everything. In this jar has got like homegrown jalapenos and onions. The only thing I didn't grow in this jar are the peppercorns. So, um, you caught me midstream. I thought I had a little more time there, so I apologize for that. But I bet. I
0: bet. yeah, I thought you were gonna tell me huh. that's a Bloody Mary of sorts.
3: Oh man, <laughs> I, yeah, that'd be good too. You, I think you could I'm use sure. the pickle juice for a Bloody Mary.
2: Well, yeah, that's that's something that's something you could add to the Bloody Mary. But the contents of that jar could also be put in a Bloody Mary because that's how we roll here.
3: That's yeah. right. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're just a bunch of guys that uh, uh, I'm the type of guy that I like the fact that I can look at that jar and say that everything in that jar except those peppercorns is something that I harvested from the land. That's pretty cool. So That is, that is cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Houndsman XP Podcast. So Houndsman XP Podcast is a podcast that we produce that focuses on the use of hounds in hunting and we also try to try to stress the fact that um man hound hunting is something that gets kicked in the teeth a lot i was just gonna say that it is it is absolutely uh one of the most one of the most wildlife friendly types of hunting that you can do i mean can you imagine walking to a bear tree a a bear in a tree and being able to walk up and determine the age of the bear, the sex of the bear, whether she is a nursing female or not, and then decide to pull your hounds back and walk away. It's like catch and release fishing. We do the same thing with mountain lions and different things like that. And that narrative gets lost in the shuffle. And um, that's what our job is to take control of that narrative and tell the true story of what hunting with hounds is educate our our audience on how to talk about hunting with hounds and reach out to audiences like yours and say man you know don't sell us down the road when when these issues come up you know we want to want you to be educated and and be able to speak effectively about hunting so that's what we do that is really well summed up obviously
0: you know coming from a podcast host that does a podcast about that. And by the way, how's it feel to be the guest, and not the host?
3: <laughs> I like being the guest. I really do. I, it's it's cool to be the guest. The pressure's off, and uh, you know, it, it's it's just really refreshing to be the guest. One of the things that uh, uh, I gotta take a second and I gotta throw a shout out out to my team. Uh, we've got a big team of very great people that that help me do the things that we do at Houndsman XP. Uh Seth Hall is and I'm proud of this team. They were hand selected. And and I want you to listen to the lineup of this team. Seth Hall is a professional wildlife biologist who is a is a long dog, greyhound, chasing jackrabbits freak. Um <clears throat> so he's a he's a wildlife biologist that does a podcast we've got shorty Gorham, who is working for the usda as a capture specialist participating in wildlife studies we got heath hyatt that is a professional master trainer in the state of virginia that trains police dogs and working dogs and we've got lauren Verani who is um she's on the wisconsin conservation council and then my i am personally a um uh, retired conservation officer and wildlife professional of 28 years. So I'm very proud of the team that we've got, and uh, I want to give them a shout out on this podcast, if you don't mind. No,
0: please, Not that's awesome. That's a great <laughs> shout out, and what a freaking dream team. I know. I mean, we talk yeah. about conservation over here a lot, but you guys are practicing conservationists, like quite literally, to profession. That's yeah. a yeah. that's a whole other level. We'll probably have to talk to you guys a bunch more about some of that stuff. Um,
1: and poor Eric has just me
0: and Greg here. No offense, Greg.
1: No,
2: none taken. I mean, I'm not much of a conversationalist. If you haven't listened lately, you you'll know.
0: We have the okayest crew over here rounding out that's the right. team, and hey, uh, just hold
2: down this chair and drink a beer.
3: What do you? What are you drinking? What is that? That's a tall one. Yeah, that's a high life. He's got the tall. Okay, one.
2: The, the champagne of beers. You know, we're Two in Wisconsin. I can't be drinking that Bush Light shit.
3: My. <laughs> So, have you guys ever heard, of the, have you ever heard of the wisconsin bear hunters association yep i've heard of them yeah so the convention there i think there's probably like two trucks of bush light that go out uh at that convention alone but the uh the president of that organization he is a miller high life guy you know everybody else is sitting around drinking uh bush light and carl is sitting over there oh yeah he's he's enjoying the high life baby
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's awesome get on board you won't regret it you
0: you talked about uh chris the the narrative around hound hunting and even already what you shared is something i've never heard or realized or knew and the way that you put it very eloquently about like it's kind of like catch and release is really interesting um can you talk about like i don't know if you told us where you're from um but in addition to that like your experience around hounds and the nature of hounds and their capabilities and kind of, sure. um, you know, what you guys talk about on the show with that stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. Uh, so I am in Southeast Indiana. I'm I, I grew up in Indiana. I started hunting all sorts of things when I was a kid. I've, I've deer hunted, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got three Pope and young, White tails on the wall in the house, so I'm familiar with archery hunting. I've trapped, but the thing that that has always tripped my trigger is including that outside factor. You know, dog training, including that that hound into the mix of of being able to to catch game effectively and efficiently and in an in an ethical manner. Uh, obviously with my past profession as a conservation officer, then ethics and morality of hunting is very important to me. And, um, I, I, as I have grown up in hound hunting, uh, I'm going on 40 years of that. Maybe I am. I, I hit 40 years this year of, of hound hunting. You know, I became a wildlife professional and I saw how misrepresented hound hunting was. So during my, my professional career, I, I involved, uh, our officers in training programs to let them know what this was really about and what we were really doing. And, and then we formulated the Hoosier tree dog Alliance in the state of Indiana, uh, here where I'm from. And, um, we built that organization for and then that organization became involved in training young conservation officer recruits to make them familiar with what we were doing and how we operated out there at night so that you could kind of take the boogeyman mystique away from it and um when is is this whole thing progressed and how i got to this point is i retired in 2018 and uh basically was sitting around and and thinking you know what am i going to do if i'm not done working uh you know i still want to be involved in the in the outdoor industry and hunting and um i was listening to other podcasts and i would listen to uh people try to talk about hunting with hounds and and talk try to talk about uh, you know different adventures that they went on, but they were, I just, I felt like they were missing the mark and they weren't telling the whole story. So in 2019, uh, we launched the Houndsman XP podcast and, uh, that was laser focused on what we do and telling the story in a way that was accurate. And also the other factor that, that I saw was the narrative of what hound hunting really is was being hijacked by the anti-hunting crowd. And so I wanted to create a podcast that was was designed to tell our story in an accurate way and also be able to talk to people, train our people in in how to talk about hunting with hounds. You know, help them develop their own narrative so that they can be, can become involved in state organizations, go to a natural resources commission meeting and testify on behalf of of their freedoms and their rights to hunt with hounds, and um, through that process, you know that that's where we're at. So um, that's that that you was the whole mission. The,
0: you got all the time in the world to, uh, you know, not necessarily, but as a retiree, like you can, you have the floor, so to speak, to to give this the attention it needs what do you think the the narrative of the anti-hunter is uh and then how would you contrast that to some of that de- like we're hunters and we didn't even know that narrative existed so clearly you have your work cut out for you because i didn't ever understand it now i also knew enough to know that like hunters are ethical responsible human beings by and large law-abiding citizens and i there's obviously a purpose for hounds i just didn't fully grasp what that was um so what are you like, what are other people saying about it that you are kind of helping steer in the right direction?
3: I just had, I just had a conversation, uh, with an individual a couple days ago and he was talking about, um, the use of hounds being unfair about the use of GPS tracking collars, giving the hunter an unfair advantage. Um, <clears throat> Even within the hunting community, there's a, there's a huge disconnect between what we do with hounds and what you guys do, what, what a deer hunter does from a tree stand. Well, the common thread is we're hunters and we, we want to be represented properly. So in this conversation, you know, I laid out the fact that let's just talk about GPS collars for a for instance you know he said well i think that's an unfair advantage most people don't understand why we use gps tracking equipment from gar garmin's a big company uh that that supplies a lot of that equipment well he was under the impression that we were using the gps collars for an unfair advantage well let me tell you something the only reason i have i have a gps collar on there to keep track of my hound, and i use that gps collar because it's in the best interest of the hound to use it. I started hunting before we had any tracking equipment where I was just out there on foot trying to keep up with hounds, listening to hounds and of course times have changed, roads aren't as busy, but but that GPS tracking collar at this point helps me partner with my hound in a way that is is beneficial for his well-being. He doesn't care a bear doesn't care. A raccoon doesn't care. A bobcat doesn't care if it's running towards a road, and the dog doesn't care. So you got a dog streaking towards a busy highway, busy roadway. I can see that, and I can move around, and I can cut that hound off, and I can protect him from being in that hazard. If a hound is running towards, uh, running running game towards property that I don't have permission to be on, I know that I can come around i can cut that hound off and keep him and myself out of trouble um and then the other part of gps tracking you know he said that i want to make sure and explain that it is not an unfair advantage you know when i'm elk hunting in the rocky mountains i can look to the top of the next ridge and decide whether or not i am do i really want to walk up there (laughs) Do I, no. You know, do I really want to gut myself <laughs> today? There's logic there? Yeah. So, but when I'm hound hunting and that GPS signal is sending me to the top there because my hound is there, that choice has been made for me. So this, this theory that somehow hunting with hounds is an unfair advantage or GPS tracking collars is an unfair advantage is a false narrative. It just doesn't exist. I have to, if my hound goes there. And he's got a lion caught there. He's got a bear caught there. He's got a raccoon caught there. I'm going and I don't have a choice. I've got to go. One of the other things about um, hound hunting that is often misconstrued or misunderstood is, you know, I commonly see comments on social media that say, you know, hound hunting is, is an unfair advantage. Just the use of hounds. Leave GPS collars out of it you know, if you break that down and you think about it, the oldest documentation of hunting is paleoglyphs in caves and, and different ancient art from the Egyptians to the, to the Persians to, you know, some of this old type stuff. Hunting with hounds is the oldest documented form of hunting there is. So if it was such an Unfair advantage, 6,000, 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, why did people create gunpowder and start shooting modern rifles? Why did people invent the compound bow? Why did people, uh, why why does the hunting industry develop trail cameras? This is the oldest form of hunting that exists. So we have developed our hunting from that. So to say that it was an unfair advantage, if it was an unfair advantage, it'd be easy. We could all do it. Just go get a dog, turn them loose, and go out and, you know, collect game with a butterfly net and totally decimate wildlife <laughs> populations. And you know, it, it, there's nothing to it. So that was the other narrative that that we wanted to uh, to to address and 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 talk about on the podcast.
2: Sure. Well, and there's a lot that goes into the training of the dogs it's not just as simple as going out and getting a dog and turning it loose and let's see what it does
0: mm mm-hmm. Tyler you can, well I mean you, you guys know thing. a couple words about that and
2: it,
1: actually I want yeah I wanted to go back to you know you're talking about keeping your hounds safe with the GPS right and knowing where they are um you know I think about my personal dog I have you know five years of training into them like tons of money tons of tests I can't imagine how much money you have into your hounds um you know and keeping them safe they're a member of the family too Right. I mean, I, I don't like you're talking about the narratives and I, you know, I'm listening to you speak and I'm like, I get it. I understand. I think it's just a lack of education. Um, so I think what you're doing is, is good. It's needed because I don't know very much about how you're educating me right now. and It makes perfect sense. Everything you're saying.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. I, yeah, I'm, I'm on the, we talked offline and we were talking about just I have two boxers and I had a hound for a short while, but you know, never used for any, you know, practical purposes, all family stuff. But any pre suppositions I had about hounds, um, you know, they can't be off lead, they're gonna run away, they're really stubborn, they're they're dopey. Look that dog had a bloodhound, he was super smart. Uh he was I I got him trained to be off lead. His nose Sorry about that. His nose was incredible. Um, that was one thing that wasn't a supposition that like that definitely uh, was something that was really impressive on that dog just mm-hmm. in general and growing up my my dad had always had basset hounds and uh, you know that was always interesting I remember playing with the basset hound at one point in time down in the basement at rough house with this basset hound and all of a sudden the dog gets up takes off runs upstairs I'm like what the hell did someone call the dog go up there someone's making a pb and j and the dog's just waiting for his <laughs> scoop of peanut butter, you know, and, and, or her actually. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, it's interesting to consider the, the hound dog in and of itself and what makes them so impressive. Um, you talked about like scent picture before we like hop down or maybe I'm saying it incorrectly, but happy to learn and hear more about that stuff too.
1: Yeah. And I think a uh, question that I have, and I think it'll lead right into that is that can you talk about the training that goes in into your hounds before you actually take them out and put them on, put them on a scent, whether it's, whether it's a mountain lion whether it's a bear whether it's a hog whatever whatever it actually is
3: yeah i th- i think um you can't talk about training without genetics and you can't talk about genetics without breed uh so the thing that that um often becomes overlooked is the long-term investment that a lot of houndsmen have in the hounds that they are hunting and um you know people will see pictures on social media And this is one of the things that Brad Luttrell always talks about with Go Wild is we see the successes of hunting, but we often fail to tell the story leading up to that success. So when we talk about the use of hounds and uh, where that actually started, a lot of our houndsmen are several generations into animal husbandry here with responsible breeding practices, breeding for performance, you know, meticulous breeding practices that have led up to that success. So it's not like, um, a lot of people want to portray it where we just go find this hound and we take it out and we turn it loose and we're successful. That started the success that we may see from a person or a houndsman on social media or in any media, maybe 30 years in the making where they have started breeding hounds four five six generations ago we had a we had a guy on the podcast on Friday that that's been breeding these hounds for six generations. So you can't talk about the training without talking about a lot of the, the full picture of what is actually going on with these guys that are hunting Now obviously if a kid you know a guy's 20 years old, his, his grandpa may have bred the hounds or whatever, but he's the beneficiary of somebody else's hard work. Then from that point, if you have got a, a, a hound that is genetically selected to perform and be successful, then a lot of times uh, the training just comes into pre- preventing them and deterring them from doing the things that you don't want them to do and rewarding for things that you do want them to do. So a lot of the the old saying in the hound community is 90% of training happens in the breeding pen. If you've got a good prodigy and a good, a good pup that has been uh, selected for genetic superiority to do their job, then, then it makes training a lot easier. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, like, um, there's a whole world of terrier people out there, too, that, that we talk with, um, and um, there's a lot to this genetic makeup of these hounds, but um, training is something that, and this is one thing that I that I do stress, and I'm not trying to be an elitist here, but I think it deserves some discussion and some credit. I've deer hunted for years. I've shot... I've, I've shot flintlock rifles. I've shot centerfire rifles. I shoot traditional archery, um, all of those things. Like if, if it comes January, I can put, put a rifle in a gun safe and really it becomes an afterthought for a few weeks and months, whatever I want it to be with, with my hounds. It's an everyday commitment. I've got to be involved every day. I've got to be, exercising those hounds i have to be feeding those hounds i have to be caring for those hounds i have to vet those hounds so when you get into that part of it you've got your hands on this living creature and it it kind of comes to rest on you that this responsibility is mine you know this responsibility has been put on me i can set the gun in the corner or in the safe and and not look at it for three months and everything's okay it's not so with a hound and uh if you want to have great hounds then you've got a huge time investment in the equipment i mean a garmin tracking system the new 200i with one collar is several hundred dollars uh oh, you've what do you, you infer those any of your zapping dogs uh yeah it makes i sound bad but... i don't
1: i don't know i don't need tracking with labs so i'm running a pro 550 garmin pro 550
3: yeah Yeah. We run, we run like a Garmin 200 or Garmin. 100 alpha is the, the next late OKS model. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I point to Uh, my gun case in the background that I haven't looked at for a long time.
1: (laughs) I'm familiar with with that model too.
3: And we call it, we, you know, e-collars and stimulation. Yeah. Uh, That's part of the narrative that we're trying to develop right there. You know, um, we don't shock dogs. We we use e-collars to stimulate the dog and and get compliance for positive behavior that we're looking for. Yeah, you know, that's part of the narrative. So um again, it's been misrepresentative often by us, the houndsmen, because we don't know how to talk about it. And not just
2: you, but pet owners in general. Yes. I mean, there are people yep. that buy it because, you know, they can't they don't know how to train a dog. So they figure, well, if I wanted to listen, I'll just whack it yeah and that's what they'll do oh
3: yep. uh, yeah. let me let me give you an example i've got a i've got a Yog terrier here and uh uh some people call him jags but the, it's pronounced Yog terrier and <laughs> he's eight months old he's german bred hunting terrier yag means hunt hunt terrier german hunt terrier and he is a whole different level of intense and um but he's eight months old and I still have not introduced uh, any electrical stimulation in the training with him because before you stem a dog, then you have to make sure that they understand what you want them to do, or you just create mass confusion. The, the, the dog does not understand. For one thing, they don't understand the elect, the electrical part of it, And then all of a sudden you're just overloading their system. So you have to make sure that, that the things that you want that hound or that dog to do, it understands it. And that comes from obedience training and repetition and daily work. Bingo. Mm
1: And in in the gun dog world, you know, we, we, or at least I do, I refer to it as pressure, right? Turn off pressure. That's the, that's the big thing. The dog has to first learn, you teach, and then you use the collar to help mold that behavior. By a pressure with the e-collar
3: yeah that's that's exactly right tyler you know you talk about pressure and to give people a working understanding of what that is it's like when you're talking about recall okay you've got a dog that's out working at maybe it's 50 yards maybe it's a half mile maybe it's a mile and you need to recall that dog to you uh, that all starts with pressure in the yard and it starts with a check cord and it it, it could be a, a, a collar that is a slip collar where it applies pressure to that dog and and as soon as that you're you're let me i'll boil this down real basic so on a check cord this could be a 25 foot piece of line or rope you've got a pressure collar that when you pull on it then it it actually applies pressure to the dog's neck you're not choking the dog it's not a choke collar it's a correction collar and and as you pull on that and you give them the command to recall and i use come you know a tough come boom apply that pressure as soon as i see compliance from him then i release the pressure and the pressure now he has learned that Okay, I can solve my own problems here by providing myself comfort. You know, pressure, compliance, release. Okay, the light bulbs start, and it takes repetition to do that. So I want to make sure that before I enter into any situation where I'm using electrical stimulation, that he's got that down pat, and he can do that in the yard off leash as well as on leash. And it's just a progressive deal.
1: And uh, so I'm gonna get on a soapbox for a second here. This, this, <laughs> Go is, for this it, man. Because, like, I use the word pressure because there's—you already alluded to it. There's different tools in your toolbox that you that you use to put pressure on a dog, whether that's a check cord, a slip lead, an e-collar, a healing stick, whatever. Like, there's there's different tools, right? They all apply pressure. You can apply um, physical presence pressure just by moving closer to the dog to influence them as well. It's, it's all pressure to get them to, to, um, to comply essentially, right. To do what they know they're supposed to do. Um, I think people don't necessarily understand that the beauty of the (laughs) e-collar is that it's, uh, right. You, you're, you know, your dog can be a half mile away. You know, if you have a 30 foot check cord on, you can touch your dog up to 30 feet, but when they're past that, you can't reach out and touch them. Your dog's at a half mile away, right. And running toward a road, you can use the e-collar and you can literally or figuratively reach out and touch them and communicate with them. It's, it's, it's an amazing tool to keep dogs safe, um, to, to help with compliance, general obedience. It's just, yeah, I'll stop now. And, and rant.
3: I, I'm, I'm with you, Tyler. And I like the way you put that with pressure. Uh, it's just a different sort of pressure. Dogs are always going to find the most, they're self preservationist, you know, that i'm never gonna my They're dog good. doesn't my dog doesn't come to me because he loves me i hate to burst everybody's bubble but dogs aren't wired like that you know he may like you but but he is coming to you because he trusts you and he you know, he knows that you'll provide certain things for him but there's three things a dog needs he needs air he needs food he needs water and if you're going to train a dog effectively, and I'm not talking about these fur babies that might come to you and not maul the mailman on the 10th or 12th you know, recall, I'm talking about the dog that will stop in his tracks, come back to you, and you will have a highly efficient and effective dog, then those are the three keys. And and when you're applying pressure, then one of those things that we're applying right there at that time is... We're, we're introducing discomfort in his life and he is teaching himself that when he complies to what i want he can get away from the discomfort and you can actually see dogs that try to cheat and i'm sure that you've seen this tyler yeah, they're, you know they're constantly testing you They've absolutely you what they can like get toddlers away. man they're, they're, they're
2: like, looking for yeah. the shortcut no matter how, what
3: how many times have you thrown that long retrieve in the water and instead of instead of the dog turning around and bringing it back to you, it's close to the other shore. So they go back to the other shore and then they run the bank back to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the things that, you know, people don't necessarily understand how to teach. And it's like a constant thing though, too. with Yeah. yeah. Got to keep visit, revisiting it. Lazy yep.
0: shit. Get over here. and come back. Gotta I've been lucky. I
1: didn't have
2: a dog like that. Funny.
0: <laughs> um, well, you know, I'll, uh, kind of steer the ship here a little bit. Um, You know, I wanted to try to tie this back into whitetail hunting to some degree. I know there's shed hunting. I think that season's obviously, you know, come and gone. Um, But what's upcoming is bow season. And with bow season, you know, just due to the nature of bow hunting, you know, deer duck shots, they turn, they pivot. There's plan B scenarios going on. doesn't always go according to plan. You're not going to drop in its tracks like you might with a rifle. And um, so tracking becomes a pretty, uh, you know commonplace thing and, and there's a lot of guys that have hounds that are that are doing tracking there's some well-known guys here in wisconsin that have made their rounds that you know the dogs are the dogs got an instagram following most you know uh political candidates because well like <laughs> they were treating many damn deer and it's it's really cool to see um i'm always curious to know how those dogs do that you know how do they know how to track the deer is that is that deer have a unique scent is it the blood that they're trying what are they tracking to be able to track a deer through such different types of terrain, vegetation, even water in some cases and so forth. Like um, really curious to hear the, the inner workings of what I think it's called what the olfactory. factory is that it's a technical yeah. correct term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if you, if you don't mind switching gears a little bit going down that path, I, I, I don't know. I'm just
3: dying to learn more actually. Yeah. <laughs> so sinning is sinning. You know, when a dog uses its nose to, find an odor or a scent, it's the same, whether it's, you know, we talked about boxers. Uh, we talked about bass and hounds, whether they're looking for their feed dish, uh, or, you know, cleaning up after, after you've been cooking in the kitchen at home or if they're trying to find, uh, odor out there for tracking a wounded deer, tracking a bear, things like that. So scent, and scenting and and dogs using their olfactory senses is, is all broken down to the the smallest molecules and scent is nothing more than the the molecules that you're and I'm gonna talk people here so that we understand this because I <laughs> no, that's um, good I was a, I was a police canine handler for a number of years um, We did a lot of man tracking a lot of a lot of you know lost people lost stuff type stuff so i'm gonna break it down like that for you because the the nose works whether you're tracking a person or you're tracking a wounded deer sounds like one thing that
0: app works if you're tracking uh terrorists or deer (laughs) exactly it really
3: is and that's what we do on our wednesday show is uh, we talk to these experts and we bring them over and show people and teach people how to do that because it doesn't matter whether you're looking for a mountain lion or you're looking for a terrace. Good, good example. So scent is an individual thing to you. It's as unique as your DNA. Um, And basically what scent is, is it's cells that your body naturally sheds in a, a given period of time. And it comes from exhaling. It comes from your shirt rubbing up against your, your arm. You know, if you take your hat off, you know, if you can imagine, and your audience will absolutely understand this because I, and I use it as an example, often, you know, like the wind detector bottle, when you pull that, pull that out of your pocket and you squeeze it and that powder inside that wind detector goes up, you know, it, it, it. surrounds you that's what your body does at the tune of fifty thousand cells per minute in a given situation so as i'm sitting here and i'm exhaling i'm moving and i i feel like i'm italian because i can see myself here um but i (laughs) i talk better when i'm when i'm moving but my clothing rubs up against me if i rub up against vegetation all this stuff then then that is causing skin cells to come off of me and and if i'm walking through my environment it leaves a scent trail if i'm sitting in an environment like i am right now then it creates a scent pool and those are two two distinct different things your dog wants to follow a scent trail they will follow a trail that's what they're doing when they're tracking a wounded deer and the animal world the natural world is very much the same you know to there's a reason why wildlife enforcement officers you have moved to dna profile testing to gather forensics evidence because <laughs> even wildlife has a different dna and your dog's nose is so amazing that they can tell the difference even amongst species and they can discriminate between one individual in the species to another individual in a species you know one of the things that we look for in hounds when we're like bear hunting is the dog that when you strike this bear and you move it through the country, then you're going to stay on that bear. I don't I don't need a dog. You know, if I find a bear track and it's a, it's a monster, you know, I'm looking for this bear. I want that dog to stay on that track. I don't need him getting sidetracked on a 90 pound bear half a mile into the race. I want him to stay on this bear. It's the same way with the dog that you're using for blood tracking. You're putting them on a track. You're focusing that energy and that drive on that individual scent on that track, and you want them to find that deer. You don't want to find the slickhead or the button buck that cross that track 200 yards into it. So this, what happens there is when you, uh, your dog sees its nose, or sees the world through its nose. They can even see in stereo, which we cannot um
0: talk, talk talk about that for a second here like see in stereo like what what do you mean because it it sounds like what you're saying like i'm thinking surround sound or like you know mono is one speaker stereo is two or more whatever i don't know i'm not an audiologist or what have yeah. you i'm gonna actually have some more information on this but i'm curious to just talk about that for two seconds before you continue on
3: okay yeah i mean without without getting crazy about it uh, i told
0: you we gonna get into the weeds it's okay <laughs>
3: A dog's brain is completely different than ours, and uh, you know if you want to go into the the makeup of the olfactory the olfactory sense of a dog, uh, to give you an idea, and this is probably the easiest way to break it down, and I've used it several times. When you walk into Grandma's house, and you walk you walk in the back door. And all the and you're there for dinner and you smell food cooking. You know, cookies. You, you think right? yeah, it's, you, you it's just, cookies. You know, smell is one of those senses, even in people, that that can trigger certain parts of our memory and recall. I mm-hmm. guarantee you, if you think about it, you can recall when you were five years old walking into your grandmother's house and smelling her baking bread. And it's something that when you smell ba- bread baking now, it takes you back to grandma's house when you were five years old. When you're there's when you're a, old enough to recall that. There's a I'm you know, really good
0: at doing asides, interrupting people.
3: That's uh, like a. That's all time. right.
0: Go ahead, man. There's a song by a guy locally in Wisconsin named Keith Palmermaker, and I I call it the Bacon Song. I forget what it's actually called. I have to share, it. but it, it, this the lyrics are: There's something about the smell of bacon and the scent of Paul olive in the kitchen. And he's talking about going to his grandma's house. There's a, literally a song about exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> is talking about? It's very interesting.
3: Anyway, yeah. So if you think about that, a very small portion of our brain, we're sight oriented. You know, we are, we are seers of the world. We see things in, um, uh, color. We see things not like, not like birds, not like turkeys, not like hawks but we our eyes are on the front of our head and we are visual acuity species a dog is olfactory portions of our brain are very small whereas a dog's brain is very the the portion of their brain is is very big that is dedicated to their sense of smell it is everything to a dog it teaches them from birth where the nipple is so that they can begin nursing as soon as they come out of the womb, they're moving towards food, and they can smell that that lactating female and where to find that food. Um, and then from there on up, so you got food, you've got survival, you've got reproduction, you all that stuff is all generated by smell. It's much more suppressed in humans. We do it, it just isn't registering to us like it does a dog. So when I talk about a dog smelling in stereo, as a dog moves across the landscape and it is smelling so many things that if we, if we could visualize it, all of a sudden we had the ability to determine or, or use our noses the same way a dog was, they would probably lock us up and put us in insane asylums because I can smell the pheromones from that person I, I i hate to even go there you, you know you Careful can now. you can but uh, i read there's studies about this <laughs> of
0: like joggers running past people on a on a hike there, there's like psychological studies of pheromones so like it's definitely there but it's not there on the level that you're talking about in contrast it's to
3: subconscious just,
0: yeah t- keep people from going off the rails here and on, on goofy <laughs> shit topics yeah usually i jump for- in with you on this one but uh, I'll, I'll keep it on i'll keep it on the pg level <laughs>
3: yeah so so when dogs move through the environment, as they're moving across the landscape, you know, they're smelling everything. And getting back to that uh, uh, example, you know, you walk into your grandma's house and you smell stew cooking. When your dog walks into the house, they smell beef. They smell potatoes. They smell green beans. They smell, they smell uh, water. They smell salt, pepper. They can smell all of those things, and they break those things down and compartmentalize them inside their brain, and then they figure out through their nose there's, what they're actually. There's looking a meme
0: for. in my head of, of the Homer Simpson. Where he goes, "Oh, not quite, not quite, <laughs> uh, not quite blood." <laughs> He's like, "Drilling." That's my dog for every one of those compartmentalizations, which is why they freaking beg so much. Probably, that's great. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. They compartmentalize things in their brain, and then when you look at the dog's olfactory sense. A dog can actually taste scent. They can taste it.
2: Well, um, to and too, when they're smelling, they're doing it with their mouth open, so it hits their palate even more. And their their tongue is pretty big, so mm-hmm. that that's all part of their sensory.
3: A dog has a very dis, uh, developed organ in the roof of its mouth called the Jacobson's organ. And there's actually vents that come down from the uh, the olfactory, the the nasal cavity. I'm trying to use terms here. Uh, the nasal cavity inside that nasal cavity. I mean, the- man, I can freaking geek out about this crap. You I'm really geeked you.
0: out so much that I'm like, wait, was the was the term you just said again? What did you call that? The Jake, the, Jay, what? the J, what? Jacobson's
3: organ. Jacobson's yeah. organ on the roof Let, of their mouth. All right, if and we're gonna geek out, it, if you Jacobson guys are gonna give me the green light to geek out, I'll geek out. Yeah, we're good. All right, so let's just start at the front of a dog's face. I want to tell you guys how in-depth and how well-developed a dog's ability to smell is. And I want to start at the front of their face. When you look at your dog's face, you're looking at a nose that, and I'm not going to get into the technical terms, but their nostrils are shaped different than ours. You know, mm-hmm. are, ours around's rounds and have a closure. A dog's nostrils come down to the bottom of its nose and then have slits that go back. Okay, that's not where we start. We've got to start at the lips. You know that big crease between, right in the center of their face. Yeah, that crease right there is part of the olfactory system that they that they have been bred and used. And and so as a dog moves across the landscape, they are bringing in scent, this microscopic stuff that has been left on the landscape by other critters out there. And it captures right there in that crease in there. Okay. So a dog's nose, the corners of your dog's nose, if you look at your, they will have moisture in the corner of their nose right there, because as a dog, um, uh, takes in scent, then that moisture helps rehydrate the cell that was left behind. Okay. As it goes into the nasal cavity, then there are things, there are ridges in there called turbinates, T-U-R-B-I-N-A-T-E-S, And what happens is the dog takes in the scent, it circulates across the turbinates, and what those turbinates are are ridges of flesh, okay? And, and inside those ridges of flesh, there are scent receptors, cells that are dedicated to understanding and determining what that scent is. Now, the cool thing is, this will blow your mind, a dog can inhale, process scent, and exhale all at the same time. They can do both things at the same time. So, there, as a dog sniffs, you know, that short sniff, us, we're taking air into our lungs or we're trying to process it like that. A dog is capable of bringing that scent into their nose, processing it, and continue normal breathing. Jesus, I'm like completely blown away. I'm doing some screen sharing here. It's awesome. I'm glad you are.
0: Illuminate this a little bit uh, to kind of follow along with what you're saying. And like, I didn't know how to spell turbinates. (laughs) So (laughs) you're saying shit that like isn't even in the pictures. I'm like, oh my God, he's already, you know, progressed to the next thing. Because the other thing you had said was that other term that I, I can't even figure out. But I mean, it's very fascinating um, and, and this doesn't even get into like the whitetail world in terms of like what a deer can smell. Cause I, if I remember correctly, is a whitetail smelling better than a deer or is a, is a bloodhound is like the exemplar of olfactory smelling better than a deer. I don't
3: remember the contrast there, but, um, just I'll, tell you world, the difference, right? I'll, I'll tell you the difference between, uh, deer and dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we saw, we saw this, like when I was running a tracking dog, we would have people show up remember when scent lock was the big deal? Yep. You know, I mean, it still is a big deal, but, but, and but all the that scent, yeah. Yeah. You know, you buy this suit and, and you activate it and it eliminates your odor and I've seen it and they did all this documentation where deer were moving through and weren't detecting. Well, when a deer moves across the landscape, they're thinking about three things. They're thinking about predators. They're thinking about sex and they're thinking about food. Boom. Three things. So, a deer isn't as when I put my dog out there to track you or the species that I'm looking for, they've got one thing in mind and that is finding their prey. So when I was a canine handler, people would be skeptical and they'd be like, I'll bring my scent lock seat and I'll trick that dog. And it's like, okay, bring that scent lock suit and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Didn't happen. The dog would <laughs> find them sitting in their tree stand, you know, up there creating this huge scent pool it was just it was nonstop. i mean it it never failed because the dog is laser focused because of the training that we put into the dogs they're laser focused on that one thing they're not worried about food they're not worried about sex they're worried about boom finding what i want
0: interesting that's a good way to put it too it makes me think more about like you know the drug dogs and how they're able to find drugs and all that jazz too you talk about like laser focus and with the technology that they have in their nose so to speak you know god's given gift to those animals it's like very impressive Mm -hmm. so if a deer is track if a a dog is tracking a deer you know it's following that that scent that fingerprint or that dna that you talked about it's why it's able to hone in on that deer with that laser focus and and it's always just so impressive you know you just you you know, see him at work and you just can't help but be in awe that they're able to do these things people, that, you know, people
2: love watching dogs work it's amazing absolutely i mean that's the whole reason i got into duck hunting way back when because i had a dog and he had just happened to have some talent he showed it and well let's see what he can do and it was great it was just fun watching the dog
0: it's cool i know we do yeah. like the you know whatever we'll do dumb dumb shit around the house or you know, if the dogs are bored and it's crappy outside, they don't want to be out there because it's you know winter and it's you know negative freaking thirty degrees in Wisconsin or it's too hot because they're <laughs> boxers or it's raining and they're being little babies about being outside, you know, we'll do scent game, we'll hide treats on them. And it doesn't take long for them to figure out where the hell they're at. They know what's going on. Now, that being said, too, they also have memorized our hiding spots. So we gotta <laughs> mix it up every now and again. Dogs are smarter than we give them <laughs> credit for. <laughs> you know.
3: So Pretty Sure.
0: That's wild. So the same thing with like, when you're, when you're doing shed hunting, how does that work? Because they might not have a scent of a shed to, to go figure that out. Like, what does that look like? And if you Uh, don't have, it's okay. I don't, I don't mean to ask you questions. Maybe it's out of your wheelhouse, but I'm just curious about it. No, that's fine because it it ties into,
3: it ties into uh, area searches that we used to do with our, with our police dogs. You know, you, you would go out and do evidence collection in an open area And you would expect that dog to find, you know, firearms evidence, uh, articles that were dropped, that sort of stuff. So really it's just a basic find and reward type thing. You know, you, you, you show the dog that, that the shed is what you're after. And then once they find it, you reward the behavior, you reinforce good behavior and um uh, you just make it a game dogs dogs um uh, learn because of the the reward on the other side of it so you know you can basically teach a dog to find you know whatever whatever you want it's- is as long as you you reward them for that when we had dogs that were trained to find uh, in the wildlife industry, of course, we weren't doing drug detection. We were doing, uh, I could teach a dog to train, to differentiate between stripers and walleye.
2: They got a different stink to them.
3: They do. They've got a different DNA makeup, but there's, there's common threads in there in the DNA. Obviously, you know, you take a striper and you take a, a walleye, you know, DNA is going to show that this is a walleye and this is a striper. Now, when you get down in the weeds and you're really trying to figure it out, the DNA is completely different and the genetics are different. But, um, dogs' noses are so amazing that, that, that you can actually differentiate in the, in the species of fish, of mammals. You know, I did not want my dog to show me where a raccoon was hidden in a car I wanted them to show them, show me where waterfowl was hidden in a boat, you know. Um, they may show me just because they're trashy little suckers and it's like, <laughs> oh, there's a raccoon in here. And and but but at the same time, you know, it, that's wasn't my target. But they can be trained to that extent.
0: Okay. That's interesting. I didn't I didn't consider like uh you watch like Northwoods Law, right? Or whatever, where they're you know Ward yeah. yeah, you know. It's interesting that instead of finding contraband, you're finding species and mm-hmm. the dogs are capable of doing that. Yep. There's no way people committing those crimes of poaching and so forth have any freaking concept that that's even possible. They don't even fricking get it. They better not listen to this podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, how, how crazy we just lost half of our following way to go Eric! <laughs> oh, yeah, we got a bunch of poachers listening to us. Jesus, Gregor. I tell you, uh, on a lighter note, how do I get my dog to stop pissing around my house? Uh, I swear to God, she's either missing a chromosome or her bladder's too small, or she's got a bladder infection. But like, my God, that dog just won't stop peeing. So, what are some general tips for the, the you know the OKS Hunter Nation listening to the show that they have the you know the dog that can't uh, stop barking at the mailman after twelve recalls like you had mentioned, or what are some just basic? Um, things that would be fun for people to try and experiment with their dogs that might make a better outcome. And Tyler, t- chime in too, because I know we went to a trade show in March uh, for OK Center. We had a booth, and half the people were like, oh, OK, Center, that's cool. Uh, and then the other half, of people are like, holy shit, that dog hasn't moved. And it's Tyler's dog seeing a platform, like a statue, right. and they'll tell me more about how you trained your dog, Tyler. So, like, that was the other <laughs> half of the conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, so you know, basic things like that. Uh, dogs don't care what happened 10 seconds ago and they're not going to care about what happens 10 seconds from now. Okay, um, right. They, they live in the present world. They, they don't, um, you know, they don't think about consequences. A lot they're not perseverating
0: times. on something unless it's maybe a steak.
3: Right. So everything has to be repetition. And, you know, you talk about house training a dog. They don't know that, that, peeing in your house is wrong. So you jumping up and rubbing their nose in it and throwing them outside, they're like, what the hell was that all about? You know, I had to pee and I I, I peed. So what you have to do is, there's a couple things. Dogs like consistency and, and they like routine. So you've gotta be a little bit on your game. If you're gonna be a dog owner and, and you don't want them pissing in your house, then be engaged. Because when that dog gets up off its bed and it starts looking around the house and just kind of wandering around the house, you <laughs> ought to be unplugging from Netflix and saying, hey, I need to take the dog out. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful and you don't want to dog pee on your carpet, then that's what you got to do. And exactly. uh, there's, no, there's no magic bullet to it. You just got to be on your game. You got to be, a, be on point and then take them out to the same areas of your yard. And and you're creating that area for them. And you're like, this is where you go to the bathroom. This is where you go potty. And I even tell my dogs, uh, like when I'm traveling, I do a lot of traveling with hounds across the United States. And when I stop for fuel and I'm, I'm on the road warrior mode, when I get them out and I walk them around, they need to go to the bathroom. Because I'm not stopping again for a while, and and I don't want to clean up messes, so I actually train them be quick. You know, and and they'll all empty out, and they'll they'll figure it out. That's
1: great. Yeah, yeah. I use go potty. I tell dogs
3: go potty all the time. Yeah, it's my I dog do too. Or, it just sounds it just yeah. sounds kind of go potty is a out. terrible
0: one for it's, me because our dog's name is Dotty. Yeah, you potty you and potty Dottie and the F- way my <laughs> kids say Dottie. Yeah. and two all, of your kids will probably fucked. go potty
2: too. Then right?
0: Correct. Yeah, I'm well, trying, I mean, potty potty. Toddlers, uh, they're saying I mean, "daddy" and "daddy," and it's all. My it's dog's all.
2: eleven years old. I should have thought of that. I, I did the same thing. It was, it's repetition. It, they know at five o'clock it's time to go, regardless if it's dark or light out. Nine thirty, it's time to go. Yep. We have times in between during the day. Someone comes and let the dog out, but my dog will actually let us know she's eleven now, so she's had plenty of training, and she figured it out after the first year, where. Okay, nine thirty, I'm gonna go to the door. Yeah, I'm gonna whine and it's yeah. time to go out. She's letting me know it's time to go out. I don't wanna make a mess in the house. Let's go. Well,
0: it's interesting. I think COVID so, wreaked havoc on on some of that stuff because a lot of routines got thrown out the window. All of a sudden everyone's home and their dog's like, I'm home, I don't gotta crate the dog, The dog be out and suddenly now your routines have been, you know, thrown out the window you and know. That that was a bit of a challenge my wife stayed. I also noticed
2: and- that there's a lot of COVID puppies now up for adoption.
3: <laughs> <laughs> COVID same. puppies.
0: Ah, wow, so many dogs. Yeah, because everyone got a freaking dog in COVID. And now they're like, this fucking dog's peeing everywhere. <laughs> Because of COVID, <laughs> routine. That's no, it's interesting.
1: The routine's good, and and you know, you talked about you know be quick. It's 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 amazing how you can tie a phrase or a word to something, and they can pick it up. so it. fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it take, it'll take two days. We say I get busy. Yeah, that's our thing. Yeah, get I can have two days. The dog will start to like associate that, like yeah. go potty, mm-hmm. and that. It's, it's just I mean, like it's,
2: the word treat or yeah. potty. Yeah, they it's, know. they, yeah.
1: they exactly. know what that is. When my dog comes out of the water. Tell him shake. And he shakes. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, like that's
3: exactly right. Yeah. I, I know. I know.
1: Like, like shake, shake off the water. Cause yeah. I don't want to get wet. Cause I'm shake
0: eating. it off. Yep. Like, a, like a Polaroid picture, or like Taylor Swift said, you yeah, know, exactly. just, yeah, get, it, you get it. it done. Uh, you know, so Chris, where can people find you? Uh, do you guys have a website? Do you have social? Are you on YouTube? What's the, what's the podcast? Let's direct people that sure. want to learn more about this stuff, get that narrative down. Um, please point us in the right direction for the folks that are listening in
3: yeah so so on any podcast platform that that you listen to podcasts on then it's the houndsman xp podcast and um man i'm telling you i'm i'm such a mental midget compared to some of the guests that we've had on like jeff shetler and cameron floor uh ford and bart george and i mean these guys That's do hard. this for a living. You just blew our minds. So yeah, if it gets
0: deeper so. than this, like I have to imagine your podcast is just a freaking
3: scientific hotbed of how to deal with dogs. And and it's it it's so we run three shows a week. Our Monday show is more wildlife management, conservation. How do we save our lifestyle? How do we preserve our lifestyle type shows? We do some uh, big game stuff on there. Wednesday is more technical about you know a deeper dive for people that that want to understand working dogs and how their nose works and how they they operate and our friday show is more of a uh, uh a profile show where we interview people from the hound hunting community so that's houndsman xp podcast on 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 your we're on go wild or i am on go wild under chris powell okay. um and then um uh, instagram and facebook we're under Houseman xp podcast
0: and y- our website XP. right now is under I mean,
3: construction so it's not very good
0: good to know i tried to click and it didn't it didn't pop so i, so I was asking to make sure people get to the right place YXP, what is that what does that have to do with anything extreme performance oh, oh okay i wonder if that was like yep that, does it know that and i don't know that
3: Yep. Houndsman XP. We're, we're, we are trying to create extreme performance houndsmen in the areas of training, in the areas of conduct in the field, in the areas of wildlife management, and, in animal husbandry. You know, to be a houndsman, you have to be able, it's just because I own a hound, I'm not a houndsman. You know, it's it, <laughs> it, 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 me. it, it involves a lot of different aspects and it's a journey. You know, that's our show that we you run on wednesdays is called the journey because it is a lifelong journey you know if you're a person that feels like you've arrived and you've got it all figured out you're not going to like our show because that's us that's us in a nutshell
0: too man the yeah. thing is a journey everyone's at a different stage so yep. that's not too dissimilar it's no wonder where we've connected and you know shout out to the to the the crew or the team at go wild for connecting us those guys are just what a great awesome. group of guys in yeah, the, man, oh, and oh man and i don't want to say guys because i know erica's over there too and um you know, they just built such a strong community that we're we're so happy to be a part of it to be quite Me honest. Their logo is on the screen right now because they're just they're just good folks. Yeah. Um you know, happy that uh, they were able to connect us. Did you go to their did, to their Senate slam? Were you able to make that I or I did. No? Yeah. Ah uh, yeah, you bastard. I didn't get to go. <laughs>
3: <How> was <laughs> it was it was awesome. And uh, their featured guest was uh, late uh, Cole Cheney and uh branch holy cow i mean i've been to i've been to some big name concerts and different stuff and maybe it's been a while but i thoroughly enjoyed that lineup of musicians they had and uh i think they did an outstanding job for their first year and i think it's going to continue to grow because they've got a lot of energy behind it and they've got good people people working on it so yeah, they do.
0: Yeah, they they were able to pull off something pretty great, from what I heard. And I, you know, hope that I could have made it. I had uh, family in town from Key West, Florida, and uh, you know I couldn't miss hanging out with those those family members. I don't get to see all but once a year. It's a bit of a tradition here. So
3: so. Second it Slam had them flying into Louisville. Yeah, say, hey, man. we're going to it Slam. <laughs>
0: yeah, you just drove up this many hours. Let's get back in the car. They've been like the fuck out of here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I, in my defense, Eric it's only an hour and 10 minutes from my house. So yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah, have an yeah. excuse, I didn't have really an excuse cool. for not going. No, no. That's
0: great. It sounds like a lot of good folks are there and, 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 you know, maybe if we aren't retired or we are, if we'll ever step into this full time, we'll be able to make all sorts of stuff like that happen. But, you know, we're putting our first event, which is nothing on the caliber. It's not even the same league as what they had done. But We're calling it foam fest and that's on August 27th. So if you're in Wisconsin on August 27th, uh, you know it's a bit of a hike but uh bear training gonna...
3: season is in up there right now so i'm i'm definitely making yeah. plans to to go a couple hey if you want to send that information over to us then then i'll be happy to to share it on our our social oh yeah that'd be great that'd be great uh we're gonna be
0: you know flinging arrows and drinking beer afterwards shoot first drink later I, i've I've reversed that order on accident before. So if you drink first, you're not shooting next. Sorry. I don't know. I see you shooting better while you've had a few. couple but, beers. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I stop <laughs> second guessing myself and I go with my gut intuition. It turns out I'm usually pretty, pretty spot on when I just
3: don't think about it too much. Well, that's another misconception, Eric, about Houndsman is that, you know, we're a bunch of drunks and we sit around on the fire and pass a brandy <laughs> bottle around. And um, uh, I got a story that relates to that.
0: Yeah, you when got an okayest
3: story. Well, we can wrap up with all that. I've got an okayest story, man. I was an okayest right. houndsman one night when I was probably not old enough to be consuming alcoholic beverages, should I run across Johnny Law or my That's mom and dad. And um, so we were drinking peach snobs <laughs> and we were out coon hunting. <laughs> and um, it was good. That peach schnapps was it went down smooth. It was, it was like, man, I've never had this before. I didn't realize this tasted like this. And uh, it was almost like drinking you know, like a a carbonated fruit beverage or something. You know, it's just like it was really good. Well, before I know it, I can't freaking walk through the woods. Uh, (laughs) Um, I ended up leaving a hound. I, I, I geez, fell asleep. I can't walk. <laughs> oh my gosh, I fell I pat, I fell asleep in the woods on a hillside, leaning up against a beech tree with my feet pointed downhill. So it was a comfortable spot. But when I woke up, I just walked out of the woods. I had lost I had lost dog leashes. I left my hound in the woods that night. I got back to my truck and um and ended no i wasn't even old enough to drive my buddies took me home they wouldn't they just left me against the beach tree and i made it back to the truck and they took me home and They'd the next day up and didn't it didn't go well whatever they probably right. were like screw him i'm going coon, we're here to coon hunt you might but have anyway, symbols yeah. driven,
2: drawn on your face with sharpie marker <laughs>
0: a couple shaved eyebrows something weird. I'm
3: glad it wasn't traced <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was uh that was my lesson about drinking and hunting and um i've always kept the order in check since then that's good no that's good we we have good clean fun over here and
0: we're drinking you know bourbon and a couple of highlights and it's all good but uh certainly you you start to do things like that and it's let's try to keep it responsible and ethical and so forth it's all in good fun and all that jazz. You got your guys that roll out of bed at deer camp that are, you know, they're pretty shit faced still from last night, maybe. That's less these days now that we're getting up there, you know? I'm on the latter half of 30, I think. If I can do math, 86. Jesus. So Greg's upwards into 40. He's old as fuck. Thanks. <laughs> Since he has to make a claim of being the oldest guy in the room. I am. So what we're going to do, we're just going to lean into that, Greg. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sally. <laughs> Can't trick him like he used to you, huh? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> look a bar of soap in my coffee that's right, yeah. you better watch it you're going to have a bar of soap in <laughs> your brandy yeah, we had lord on the podcast oh, a couple weeks man. ago, that was freaking good. I'd rather terrible. eat a bar of soap than drink that shit that was not good, don't do that I promise it's not a good decision anywho, well, we'll end the live broadcast everyone's got the information on where to find you we'll tag you in everything we produce the same night that uh, you know we, we record so this will be on podcast land this evening so folks can get in the morning drive tomorrow and all that jazz, so everyone that tuned in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for participating in the comments and uh, we'll get you next week and be sure to log in on Go Wild if you're on there.